being in that hospital bed, I don't think anyone understands like walking on the streets one week and then the next week you're in a hospital bed, not able to move because your body's attacking itself. Um, and in that moment of existential crises, you're like, there's so many things running in your mind and you're like, okay, I'm going to make a decision and this is when I'm going to go. Welcome to Podcasting in Real Life, the Buzzcast show where we dive into the real life stories of podcasters in the middle of their podcasting journey. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, head of content at Buzzsprout. And you won't hear anyone famous on these podcast episodes. Instead, you'll hear everyday podcasters just like you share personal stories about how podcasting has impacted them and the things they've learned along the way. Now, in today's conversation, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with the host of Elmi Speaks. Elmi Dahir. And what's really incredible about Elmi's story is that he left a career in medicine, like went abroad, went to med school, graduated, and then decided to leave that to start a company in Kenya that is focused on inspiring unemployed young adults to pursue a a creative lifestyle and a creative career. And so going from one extreme to the other, and he shares what that conversation was like with his friends, with his family, and the moment in his life where he felt he had absolute clarity in the purpose and the trajectory of what he wanted to do with his limited time here on earth. And then we also dive into a little bit of the work that he's doing now in London to help kids that would be susceptible to gangs spend time in the recording studio instead becoming a YouTuber, a podcaster, and getting into that kind of a career. So just really incredible what Elmi has been able to to do and how he's been able to use podcasting specifically to make a really incredibly tangible impact on people. And while it's evolved quite a bit since he first started it, Elmi initially started his podcast to produce content as a competitive weightlifter. So Elmi Speaks begun really um so podcasting for me has been something that i really enjoyed for a really long time and like the intimacy that came with um you know listening to a particular host and it was a different form of content um consumption for me you know most of my friends at the age that i got into it would and and this is so funny because it was more to do with digital media and videos and that kind of thing that was how they interacted with um the world and the internet most of the time um but for me i you know on the on the iphone and you know on your little um music player that i don't even remember what they're called now but yeah on on your iphone there's a podcasting app and i clicked on it one day and i was like let me see what this is all about and it was like a ted talk meets your favorite tv show and you know in your favorite TV show, you always have that favorite character and you like this personality and the way they, they come across the, you know, repartee they have with their audience, that kind of thing. And so I really gravitated towards that. And so the more I got into it, um, I started going into uh, changes with my body and I really wanted to become healthier. And by changes, I mean, I started, you know, actually lifting weights um, competitively and, you know, really being an athlete. And part of um, the first contract that I signed for my sponsorship was 
um, I had to produce content for them. You know, they can't just sponsor you and you're giving them nothing in return. And so for, uh, um, for legal reasons, we don't, um, I can't speak about them, but really it was, it was a great um, opportunity for me to, to learn how, you know, to make money off of the kind of, um, you know, other forms or rather the alternative streams of income that I could make because I was a student at this time, remember, and I was about to just graduate. And when you're about to graduate, your mind is like, um, so where will this come from or where will this happen? Or, you know, so that was a great way for me to, to explore other options. And so I was like, maybe should I start on YouTube or would I just do what I've always loved doing? And for some reason, um, since I was like a very young kid, and my parents can attest to this, is that um, I used to do this thing where I thought I'd always be on the radio. And so I always thought I had a voice for radio. I always thought I could do, you know, those um, sweepers or that kind of thing. I thought that that was... That was my strong suit. And so it was so funny that, you know, several years later, when I had this opportunity to create content for the internet, and it was part of my contract, I chose, I chose to, you know, use podcasting as my medium. And yeah, I never looked back. And so when I was looking for names for the podcast, it was, um, it was very you know, I had to find something that was catchy, but also um, true about myself and um, that would encompass what I wanted to say or rather what I embodied as a person, as a creator and as a community that I was trying to build. And until today, Elmi Speaks is still described as a community because I believe I'm building a community. Um, as I told uh, Travis before we started recording was... Um, um, Elmi Speaks is no longer just, you know, the podcast. It's me. It's become who I am. It's my daily life. And, um, it goes beyond, it goes beyond it. And so first I have a very interesting name to start with. Elmi is not the first name that, you know, like when you go into a gift shop, you find a keychain for her. Uh, <laughs> so I had to find a way that was very relatable to everybody. And I had to also find a way for it to, you know, like my name had to be in it because, you know, that way you can remember that way, like you associate word associations and human brain and anthropology. So a lot of background thinking that doesn't make it to exactly the foreground, but it's part of the decision making process. And so for me, um, I was like, okay, what is easy? Tell me. And for the longest time growing up again, because I didn't have an easy name, I used to break my name down as L for Lion, because I'm East African. Lion King was set in East Africa. So Lion, you'll always remember L. And then me, like M-E. And so that's how L Speaks came. And so it was, I was speaking, I was delivering this message to the people. Um, and so, yeah, L Speaks. I know that we've gone around it so much, but then... That was really the genesis of of the podcast. But also, actually, the first ever podcast I ever listened to was a podcast I don't think it exists anymore because this podcaster became a, a YouTube sensation. And now he's, like, I think half a million YouTube subscribers. It's called Jeff Neppard. And his podcast, when I started listening to it three or four years ago, was called Ice Cream for PRs, so for personal records and 
that Ice Cream for PRs became Jeff Nippert and Jeff Nippert became the brand. And so when I was um, like a half a year into it, I actually didn't know, you know, like, oh, this amazing guy who I've been, who was also like a, you know, a science student at school and um, a podcaster and a powerlifter. And, you know, I saw a lot of myself in him. And so I was like, oh, so actually I do fit in here. There's no more of that imposter syndrome. And so that's why I was like, yeah, why not? I should call myself Elmi Speaks and let my name be part of it. Um, and so with the 1111 and how um, that fit, fed into um, the creation of 1111 was mainly um, so the podcast became a bit bigger and we started gaining traction in terms of the number of listens and the downloads that we were getting every week. And from there, I realized um, there was a problem because I used to live in England and then I moved to Kenya for a year. And in my time there, I found it very challenging to, to run my podcast because um, Amazon takes forever. <laughs> because <laughs> Amazon, which, you know, we take for granted, it takes two days maximum wherever like you are in the Western Hemisphere. In Kenya, it's at least two weeks in between the time that even the delivery time does not, like, between, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like two weeks between the time you order and the time it will be shipped out to you and another week before it gets to you. So it's already so, like, I could have flown to an airport somewhere and came back and, you know, got in here quicker. But um, that was one, the equipment was very scarce and it was if it was possible to to find it, it was very expensive. Um, there weren't many studios, and so there were not many places which would even allow you to, you know, like use the meeting rooms and just, you know, soundproof meeting rooms or whatever. It was so, for me, I found it so challenging for myself who was already, you know, um, privileged enough to come to this place of, you know, I can share my content, I can take time out of my day to, you know, create content and do that, you know, regularly. Even if it meant, you know, getting hotel rooms or getting conference rooms that we work somewhere or something that, you know, even if it cost me a bit more, I knew that I was like, you know, doing something good and that was fulfilling. But at the back of my mind, I was thinking, if this is so as difficult as it is for me what about that kid who has all this amazing intelligent you know brilliant innovative ideas and they're stuck because there's lack of accessibility to these things and so the more i i went into it i just took a stroll down to one of the slums in the country in the city and there were so many bright children and i was like this is unacceptable so much creativity is going to waste. And, and I know I just shouldn't say that, but really it is. It, it, people, unfortunately, can't do what they want because they don't have that luxury. And so um, from a place of privilege, I'm able to say, you know, um, maybe what can I do to alleviate this? And so that's where the idea of 11.11 started. And it started in a hospital bed. And it's it's so weird. I just celebrated one year since I was diagnosed with lupus. And that's where, you know, that whole, what made me jump and change my whole trajectory in my career was once I was diagnosed with lupus, I was like, okay, um, so I have very limited time on earth. I, I 
you know, if it attacks my heart or if it attacks another, you know, organ and I don't have my medication and everything's not okay, I will die. And I don't think I'm okay with leaving this world, um, you know, with what legacy. Like, being a doctor is novel. It's amazing. And I worked in biotech and my paper was published. It was amazing, amazing stuff. But the, at the end of the day, I was like, there's bigger issues that I can see that can be fixed and there's no one fixing them. Why can't I do that? Why can businesses do good? Why is there no opportunity for that? Um, so yeah, and that's that was eleven eleven and so eleven eleven was born. So when you started your podcast and now eleven eleven, which I'll we'll dig into in a little bit, you kind of glossed over this fact that you were like went to med school and are like a doctor. <laughs> Which most most people would be like, like if you're going to do that, that's clearly the path you're going to take, right? Because that's a huge commitment and and a and a huge expense, right? It's not cheap to go to med school, especially as an international student. Not cheap at all. So talk to me about that. Like you had your future laid out for you, and then whether it was just serendipity, whatever you want to call it, you you stumbled into this this other passion this other purpose that you felt talk to me a little bit about what that was like communicating i went to med school and i'm not going to be a doctor like like what were some of the reactions and then and how do you i know for you you have a lot of clarity about like this is my purpose this is what i'm trying to accomplish but what's kind of been the reception from from the people around you when you share that story um i think my parents really this is the part of the podcast they really would love to listen to um i think mom and dad you should tune in right here um it was really hard uh communicating that to them especially because you know they're type a parents who are academics and are diplomats now practicing for the un and so imagine explaining to them um uh you put all these resources into my future and my education. And I went through the full course of everything. I, I've been volunteering at, I've been volunteering at hospitals since I was 12 years old. So I kind of knew in my heart that I wanted to be um, a doctor. I, I knew I wanted to work in biotech. I wanted to create medication. I even did a whole research project. And so, like, for me, this was a thing that I was doing. And as I said, it was, uh, and as you can maybe go back and listen or skip ahead and listen, um, for me, that was, you know, the path I was going to take. And then I started lifting and I started creating content and I fell in love with it. And explaining that to people sometimes is not the easiest of things because they're like, I actually used to work for an, an NGO. Um, and that's why I moved to Kenya was because I was one of the youngest regional coordinators for an NGO. And um, the work was amazing. It was very fulfilling. It was great. But being in that hospital bed, I don't think anyone understands like walking on the streets one week and then the next week you're in a hospital bed, not able to move because your body's attacking itself. Um, and in that moment of existential crises, you're like, there's so many things running in your mind and you're like, okay, I'm going to make a decision and this is when I'm going to go. But for you, as you said, you know, the conviction is so clear, but for other people, they're like, oh, um, 
are you, you know, you're wasting your talent or, you know, we need more doctors. And I'm like, why didn't you go to medical school then? (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, it's, it's very hard to explain that to people without them, you know, kind of putting themselves in your shoes. You know, um, we can only react to situations that are familiar to us. And so we often forget, you know, that everyone's situation or everyone else's reality is different. And so that's why um, most of the time my go-to phrase is, I can only control my reaction to things. I cannot control your reaction to things. And so when I tell someone, you know, I'm actually a doctor by profession, but I create content full-time, their reaction is like, oh, wow, your parents wasted money. Uh, Most of the time it's, but then some of the time it's, okay, but what do you do? And then I get to tell them about this beautiful story of 11-11 and all the people and faces and things that we've done. And some people are like, maybe you were, you've done more for people by you know going into this than being stuck behind a hospital desk with all these bureaucratic procedures in between you and the patient. And that way, you know, mortality rates are higher than ever before, but, you know, we are in an age of technology that shouldn't be happening. Um, but so, you know, there's all these questions you're like, but you can't really weigh it. You can't really say that this is going to have a better impact than this. They're both novel and they're both amazing. And, you know, we can have our impact very differently. Agreed. Yeah, I, I went to school in aerospace engineering, rocket oh, science. Wow. And, that, and then now I'm full full-time yeah. content creator so so i can we are like spirit animals there man i can totally exactly. relate to that yeah um, so so let's jump into eleven eleven because i want to to really highlight what you guys are doing because i think it's incredible tell me a little bit about what the name means and then the work that you do uh in kenya so um again i'm i just, I don't know. My current mentor, um, I'm currently in a business accelerator program. And my current mentor says that I'm really good with words. And I think that's very true. And it's telling because I can only be able to put together things that come in, like I, I have a story for it, or there's a word and there's something that explains more to it than just, you know, a, a name. Because people don't connect to names people connect to stories and so when i was thinking of the name 1111 um i wanted to think of the i wanted to think of kenya um a country which i spent my high school years in actually and it it's a huge part of who i am but also it is why i chose to leave the uk and go to Kenya and work for an NGO in a remote part of the country and, you know, be in the harshest of conditions. But why I, why I was thinking um, the name had to be so Kenyan, but you wouldn't associate it with Kenya. 11-11 is actually more associated with a Chinese festival for single people than you would say Kenya. <laughs> um, so with 1111 Kenya has its country code 254 2 plus 5 is 7 plus 4 is 11 and for me 1111 was natural because you know there's in numerology 1111 means luck and you know prosperity and that kind of thing but another thing was that in Kenya especially Kenyans have this sense of 
sense of home that comes with the country code. You know how, for example, um, in America, the states have their own dialing codes, and those really represent the state. And some people will be like, the 315, and, you know, that's what they you know, associate themselves really with. But Kenyans do the same thing, but with an international dialing code. And so when you ask a um, young Kenyan, you know, maybe under 30, and you're like 254, for them, that is something really big. And so I couldn't obviously get the domain 254, and I couldn't use the words 254, but I had to find um, something that was very close and people could, you know, um, relate to, but also was very unique on its own self. And so 1111 was born. It was actually another name before that. Um, don't even remember because 1111 won. And it's, that's, that's how I, I came to, to, you know, think about it. And we Less than a week later, I had a team and got people who were thinking like me. And it was really, I think, just that leap. Once you take that leap and, you know, you've gotten all all your moving parts going <laughs> or connected and going, then um, it works. But really, let me tell you a bit more about the work we do at 11.11. And I think, as I just briefly explained, what was, you know, what brought behind the creation of 1111 was um, this lack of creator space, this lack of creator, digital, physical, every kind of manifestation of that, where creators belong and where creators can be in the Kenyan space. Um, and that was where the problem lay, was laying for me, is because the only people who could... Um, who could access these creator services were big production houses from South Africa or from another country. And I say this um, in the way I say it because they are very talented Kenyan creators, but because they don't have the budget or the rather the budget to access, you know, these um, applications and equipment and all these accessibility issues that um, are, you know, very characteristic of sub-Saharan Africa, then, you know, these projects are outsourced, or rather even all the way to um, products that are Kenyan are shot outside of the country, and then, the you know, the content is then sent in. And so there's a huge share of young, skilled, unemployed Kenyans. And so that, that was our biggest issue it it started from something so small not small but to many people small because um the problem that started it was i wanted a studio i could podcast in that had everything and when i went into that problem you realize it's a much much bigger problem there's 44 percent of the youth in kenya are unemployed and they're skilled that 44 percent of a youth workforce where a country's youth is 78 percent of its total population that's a big issue um and when i say unemployed i also include in that number people who not like me and you who chose to go out of this their profession because of choice but rather they were forced out of the they, they didn't have a job and so they are you know in a garage somewhere at a mechanic or um 
they they're doing illicit you know behave activities to su- sustain their bodies or sustain their lives rather so you know selling themselves or selling drugs human trafficking poaching environmental pollution for big pharmaceutical companies how you know things that are me and you wouldn't do but they are forced to do that and so that was my biggest issue was the fact that no one was tackling this issue there's thousands hundreds and thousands of dollars that were being sent into Africa into Kenya and to programs which no one knows what they were doing and no one is being accountable for them as long as you know an NGO or a, a corporation can just put on their website supported x amount with this and this and this but where is that money going who is actually getting it and so it was it was kind of we got into um, so many battles that weren't for us kind of thing but we embrace them and now you know we help people with the pre-production from pre-production to the shooting to the filming shooting filming post-production marketing um you know how to monetize your content how to work with brands and partners and how to create a portfolio how do you put yourself out there you know all these things that creators really don't get um and for example I learned that on the job and I have you know the pleasure of working with some of the greatest people and meeting some of the greatest creators who gave me these opportunities to learn that is not common knowledge and i thought why isn't anyone making it common knowledge? why isn't anyone choosing to you know train people um and it it all started from podcasting and that's the craziest bit we do youtube videos and i can now edit you know actual film and you know shoot different angles and different cameras using different lenses and you know audio, like all parts of production i have probably done it i've written for the blog before i serve as editor in chief of the magazine and circular that we do you know there's so much that i have learned on this journey of life in the last year and a half almost 2 years next year in the end of this year um that I'm so so grateful for um and I thought that should be common knowledge to everyone if this is possible for me I think um and I'm not in and I'm not trying to be humble or modest but like and I'm not that great imagine if there's like other kids with who are more amazing who are able to do these things then you know like go them because I I always believe this and I said this in one of the series that I did in the podcast in in my podcast was um a lot of the time people think that by more people joining a, a platform or by more people joining a certain um space that you're reducing the number of opportunities but really you're not because you're create you're making the pie bigger you're never taking away from the size of the pie because with that increase in people the people who've been there for longer people who are more skilled are going to move up and so the pie kind of grows can more places come on and so there's always going to be space and so that the it never you, there can never be any saturation of anything it just gets bigger because we need to remember um even if it's to think about something as superficial as monetization and finance um 
corporations have money that they're willing to spend on, you know, advertisements and on, like, um, on genuine organic um, marketing, as they call it. And so there's nothing more genuine or more organic than content creators because they directly influence the, the market. And so the more the corporations and the more mar- um, marketing executives realize the fact, you know, and the more and more every day, as we can see, are being poured into digital content. And so why are people getting scared that the, the pie is getting smaller? Embrace people. There's no moving forward. There's that there's no more moving forward if there's no innovation and collaboration, you know. Innovation is collaboration and um and working together and, you know, improving each other's ideas, researching. And it's just in- incredible what I feel like Eleven Eleven has done. And so with that also, there's now given us an opportunity to move to, to move our operations to the UK and start this new company, which is called Finn. And it does kind of the same thing. Um, and it's, you know, kind of like a one-stop shop for creators. And so from something that started, you know, right on the opposite side, it's come full circle because now we have a charity arm and a foundation and a commercial arm. And so it, it's, I don't know how else to say it, but I want to thank our listeners and, you know, everybody who's been able to make this happen. And before anyone else, I'd like to thank Buzzsprout because I got my start on Buzzsprout. Like, I have the art from Buzzsprout from very many years ago. And because I was a student and I was poor, I couldn't buy a domain. I had .buzzsprout.com after my my handle. And so it's it's insane that um, how far Elmi Speaks has now spawned into 1111, which has now given birth to to Finn. And the kind of work that we're doing is, I think... Things that no one else is doing, because even in the Western Hemisphere, if you think about it, creator spaces are very um, exclusive. They're, they're like exclusive clubs. Um, when you think of YouTube space, for example, and I'm not taking a dig at YouTube, I love you guys so much. But it's that, you know, you need that 10,000 subscriber threshold, for example, to get on it. Most of the kids or most of the people who require this don't have 10,000 subscribers. And they don't have this resources to learn how to gain that kind of subscribership. And so it's easing that whole process. And even in podcasting and even in, you know, um, music production and modeling and still in motion pictures, all of it. That there's always a little, you know, impediment, a little hoop to jump through. But why can't we not make it easier for everyone? I think it's fantastic. I, th- I think it's great. No, that was that was no apologies needed. That was I fantastic. Talk a lot <laughs> <laughs> makes you a great podcaster. Thank you. Are there any stories that really stick out to you, whether it's from Eleven Eleven or what you're doing now in the UK, that really speak to you know, and and just reinforce like what we're doing really matters. Because I think if you're not a creator and you don't think like a creator and you don't relate to other creators, it can it can feel almost like we're, you know, starving artists is, is the image that most people think of. It's like, oh, you're a full-time podcaster. You must be living on the streets. Uh. Uh, but <laughs> but so, so I'm curious if there are any stories of people you've been able to work with that uh, really just speak to why this is so important to you. 
Yeah, um, actually, the, it's. I think my answer is going to be twofold in the sense that there's the you know superficial gratifying part of it as all humans, you know, we need that boost of dopamine to make us feel like validated. But then there's also the other part of it, which is, you know, the genuine reason why we started this and the whole, you know, everything about it that makes it, you know, very worth the whole troubles of, you know, leaving my job and leaving a career that was stable and, you know, moving on to a path that's less stable. It's um, the kind of stories, I think, that really have stuck with me have really come more so from from Finn because I have been more closely involved with the delivery of the projects and the services. Um, and I think that's a lot to do with learning from 11.11. At 11.11, the execution of certain projects were left to certain departments. And so I didn't get to see the end service user delivery part of things. And so... Um, I know things are working. I know, you know, kids are happy and that they're able to use the space. And, you know, when we get into meetings with legislators or uh, members of parliament in Kenya, I'm very under, like, I get, I go into briefings and I get the full picture of what our team is doing. But then um, I wouldn't exactly be able to see the the actual stories be, uh, behind these numbers because, you know, that was a sad bit is that you're doing so much because I started this all on my own with no expertise in this field, nothing, um, just you know, blank, clean slate. Um, but now that I'm at Finn, I did a lot of the market research myself and um, I spoke to many communities. And so the biggest problem right now in the UK is actually um, knife crime and gang violence is skyrocketed. It's actually 10,000%. It's risen 10,000% in the last 10 years. And, you know, the the fact that um, we're in, what, the fourth, about the fifth month of the year, halfway through, and we have almost close to 100 children who've, you know, when I say children, I mean people under the age of 18 who've been stabbed to death and on the streets of London. And so it, it's, it's, it's something that I felt like I needed to do. Um, I needed to be more closer to. I needed to have a more intimate relationship with, you know, the work we do. And some of the stories, I think, and what has really reinforced it is Whenever you go into a community, especially a community that's riddled with gang violence or gang-related um, violence and, and problems that are concomitant from this issue, you see that um, these families are really grateful. They're so, so grateful for the fact that what they used to call um, youth centers or community centers back in the day before they were shot by the government, due the UK government, because of um, cuts to their budget and, you know, austerity, really. Um, and so there's a direct almost correlation, and that's one of the white papers we're writing currently, was the closure of youth centers and how that um, you know, conversely affected the number of gangs that are on the street and the number of violence and the number of kids who are getting radicalized, not only in gang violence, but also to extremist um, organizations. And so um, we, we really understand that um, that makes it all worth it. When I hear a mother saying, 
if my son was in a youth center or was at Finn Studios, and that's what we're calling our, you know, our studio, it'll be Finn Studios. And, you know, that kind of almost makes me a bit emotional thinking about it even now, is that um, the mothers and community leaders and youth workers who all reiterate the fact that these safe havens are not there anymore. And so with what 1111, the holdings company, does is we look into the communities that we're going to work with and look at the issues that are most pertinent to them. So in Kenya, we saw that youth empowerment could be done through social media and content creation. And that was an issue that was big and no one was tackling. In the UK, we saw that gang violence and how they have a direct correlation to creativity and also creators, really, because a lot of them survive off of, you know, um, creating music known as drill music, which is currently banned by the government, which I think is ridiculous, which we can get into in another topic on my podcast. <laughs> but um, they make money off of their music that way. And so... Therefore, kind of like in my head, I'm like, okay, so if they want to make music or if they want to make content, they want to create videos, they want to make podcasts, then for them to do that, they need capital. And to make that capital, they need to join a gang. That doesn't make sense to me. Why not create, get them services, which does this for them? And it eliminates the need for them to be radicalized into, you know, the, these very often detrimental outcomes for these kids. And they're recruited as young as nine, ten years old. So can you imagine your nine or ten year old younger brother, sister, child, husband, actually if you're a husband or a wife or your child, um, doing this, you know, um, selling drugs on the street corner or being a drug mule because you know, they, they want to make a little bit more. And so it, it's a very complex set of issues, but it makes me very satisfied every single day. Um, and I'm not saying from an ego perspective. It's the fact that we know we're making real changes to a system that has been broken and has been looked at, at from a very different perspective, from a place where people... it's. And when you look at the community, it's more an us versus them mentality as opposed to um, our community versus the problem. It's the police versus the community. And the fact that, you know, um, Albert Einstein said, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you know, expecting different results, that's the literal definition of insanity. And that's what I think governments are doing. And it, you don't tackle the same you don't tackle an issue the same way for the last 20 years and it's getting out of hand now and you're still tackling it the same way expecting for it to go away no it's not that that's not how it works i'm sorry if i'm getting a bit passionate but it's it's really <laughs> it really gets to me because um they discount experiences and disenfranchised communities because they think they know best because of statistics. And most of the time, statistics are great. But how many times are statistics going to be a replacement for human experiences? You know, policies should be community-centric, and they should be focused on the people it's being developed for. And so that's why I believe I'm really passionate about this. And, and, and that's why I'm very confident that I'm doing the right thing and this is exactly where I should be. 
I can't think of a better place for you to be, man. I think it's it's fantastic and really cool just to see how what started with podcasting has led you to the place where you're using content creation as a way of tackling real social problems exactly. and making tangible a tangible impact in the lives of people that otherwise would have nobody really in their corner. And so I think it's fantastic what you're doing, and, and I hope you keep doing Thank it. Thank you. Um, it's, it's amazing because, you know, like, I think a lot of people don't see the fact that everyone wants to make a change. Everyone wants to change the world and, you know, ABC. But we don't realize that we're already in the position to change the world if we are able to just do what we can. And then from there, whatever that's going to happen will happen. And as long as you can be able to leave your mark in this world and that that's really it um and and i'm so grateful that podcasting gave me this opportunity so i i really hope that whoever who listens to this does take that away from this conversation is that um you know as something very trivial it maybe looks very trivial but then it ends up being a whole avenue for change on um, you know i could not have thought of a better medium to share this with than the most intimate way to to interact with your audience. Because a lot of people sometimes will email me and message me and say, I really think I know you and I've never met them. A lot of my audience is in Asia. I have, I'm clearly not Asian. If you're listening to this, I am not Asian. <laughs> but yeah, and it's, it's <laughs> so great to see that, you know, you can build a community behind something that's, just so novel and amazing. And thank you so much for letting me speak about something I'm so passionate about. Absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure having you. I've got one final question for you, Elmi. One last question. If you had a time machine that could take you back to the day before you launched your podcast and you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? <sighs> Breathes heavily into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, wow, I, there's so much, but I think what I would say is you should have started two months ago. I really think I, the, you know, there's, and, and this is actually something said by Casey Neistat. I'm sure you know who he is. And he, he speaks about it in the sense that like, you know, the whole monsters under the bed thing. You're you're so scared of these proverbial monsters under your bed that you're almost incapacitated by the fact that you cannot, you know, like, approach things or you're scared about this. But once you look, there's nothing, and you can put your feet down and walk, and it'll be fine. And I wish I said that to myself. Um, I wish I believed a bit more in my my ability to tell stories and to bring people together through my storytelling. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, podcasts are anthologies of stories and experiences. So, yeah, I wish I started sooner. <laughs> if you are a young entrepreneur, creator, or innovator, make sure to check out Elmi Speaks at 1111ltd.org. That's the words, 1111ltd.org. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you wish that you could be featured on a future episode of Podcasting in Real Life? Well, you can. 
All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes to submit your application. And if today's episode inspired you or resonated with you, I would love to hear your thoughts. Just leave a review in Apple Podcasts to, to let me know what you thought of this episode and the podcast in general. And then also the most inspiring story that you've heard so far here on the podcast. Well, that is it for today. Thanks for listening. And as always, keep podcasting.